You're listening to Never Sleeps Network. Hey, it's Bilal Vakani at BilalV87 on Twitter. And Raw is entering 2020 as the C-Show. Essentially, since WWE has gone head-to-head with AEW Dynamite, they've put all their resources to NXT and with Fox signing the big deal with SmackDown. Raw has really felt like the C-Show. The three-hour length doesn't help, and tonight made that crystal clear, especially during Rusev, uh, sorry, Lana and Bobby Lashley's uh, wedding, which I'll get to a little bit later. But let's quickly run down the show, and then I'll, I'll break it down. So Kevin Owens came out, and we did note that Jerry the King Lawler and Wick Joseph were on commentary. No third to replace Samoa Joe, which was disappointing because you have to wonder how long Lawler will stay there. Kevin Owens threw, threw some highlights of him and Seth and the AOP over the last few weeks. Came out by himself, and of course, eventually Seth came out, blah, 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 blah. They talked, and of course, eventually they attacked, but Joe did make the save. And that kind of was most of this. There was a little bit of stuff later. And there's a little bit of stuff from Rey Mysterio later, but this this wasn't really as much of an angle as I thought it would be. But in terms of a way to start Raw, I did find this intriguing. Kevin Owens' delivery is always good. And it was great to see Samoa Joe come out. And the back and forth even of their brawl before security came out was pretty good. After an unneeded video recap of what we just saw, we went backstage with Joe and Owens. They were talking. KO Joe, as I'm going to call him. Kayla couldn't understand why Joe would get involved after seeing everything. Uh, she's obviously been written to be clueless, which I, I don't... I don't get. Like, she's around this all the time. Don't write her to be dumb. Write her to be smart. You know. Get her to ask Joe how good it must have felt to strike back. That's what I want to know. <coughs> But Joe still smashed this promo out of the park. KO added some comedy uh, parts to this. And he also said, you know, if there's only going to be one guy standing with me, he's glad it was Joe. They were asked to leave the building as security showed up, and it looks like they obliged. Because they had next week to attack. And, and that actually made a lot of sense. Narratively worked for me. We then got Alistair Black versus Buddy Murphy. Undoubtedly, uh, the match of the night. These two guys could be the future of WWE. Even the commercial break was sort of timed perfectly. In terms of the flow of the match, and, and it's something AEW has failed to get right. Black won with not one, but two Black Mask finishers. And by the second one, and certainly to do a second one is going to evoke more crowd reaction, the crowd really felt behind him. And I think this guy's gradually, now as he's talking less and fighting more, he's starting to get over in the way he should. And good for Alistair Black, he's a great talent. Went backstage with Seth and the AOP. And it's very much just like what we got with KO and Joe, except the AOP were arguing about what to do. And Seth was like, relax, we'll just go. And the security showed up and they went, okay, it's, you know, it's a little bit of a cop-out, but that's fine. They obviously have to stretch this to the Royal Rumble. We then had Eric Rowan confronting Lana about his lack of a wedding invitation. Uh, I'll get to this wedding stuff later. But this, I, I sort of chuckled at it for how ridiculous it was, but it really seemed unnecessary. And when we got sort of after this, the promo for the NXT year, year-end awards, I was sort of just waiting for NXT to happen. We also were shared some breaking news, and I have a lot of problems with this, because this was 24 hours ago, Randy Orton had been injured at a live event. Somehow this was breaking news, and later on we'd find out it wasn't even news, but I'll get to that later. 
We then went back to Rowan and his cage. He came out to face Kip Stevens, who had a Green Lantern tattoo on one arm and a Batman tattoo on the back of his neck. Which, I'm sort of surprised they didn't just give the guy an armband and some tape to cover those up, because I found those distracting. And this should have been an even more clean uh, squash match. But essentially, uh, Kip tried to run. He went into the ring, but he came out on the wrong side, right in front of the cage, and then Rowan hit him with the boot, and that was that. I went backstage to, and I'm not kidding, Lana moisturizing her cleavage, and I am not joking about that. That literally happened. She eventually got her way to her legs, but, th but then worked her way back up there. Uh, and talking to herself about Rowan being obsessed with her. Everybody's obsessed with her, but she understands because she's Lana. Really could have done without any of that. After the break, and, and just to show of how tone-deaf WWE is, they go from Lana rubbing her cleavage to Charlotte Flair on the ring. And yeah, Could you at least space these things out if they have to be on the same show, for God's sake? Anyways, Charlotte's in the ring. She was here to announce her entry in the Women's Royal Rumble match. And generally, this was pretty good, but I had a couple problems with this, which I'm going to break down. She said everybody knew she'd be in it. Fair. She said she'd be the first woman. She was the first woman to main event a pay-per-view. Well, you faced somebody in that match. So you were one of the first women, but okay. She was the first to declare to be in the Rumble. Okay. And the first of any gender. Sure. She said she was the first of the decade, which technically would have been next week. So that's not true. But she went on to issue an open challenge or somebody could bow down to her. Natalia came out. And overall, this was good. I, you know, I'm, I'm picking a few points here. But it's mainly because Charlotte's delivery was so good. The crowd was fairly behind her. And I, I overall like this a lot. Charlotte, of course, beat Natalia. It was a great match. And this is about all the Royal Rumble build we've had. But it's a pretty good place to start. And I will say it obviously sets Charlotte up as a favorite. A, a good favorite that takes a lot of spotlight. And could maybe make people forget about Shayna Baszler sneaking in there. Which I hope happens. You look at SmackDown, I, I don't see Carmella winning it, even though she's sort of positioned as a future contender to Bailey. You could have Sasha win it, but I think she's doing so well with Bailey that I don't think that would make a lot of sense. And Sasha doesn't need a Royal Rumble to get a title shot at Bailey. Neither, neither does Carmella. Those two things are inevitable. Whereas Charlotte could win. She could go to SmackDown, go to NXT, or it would be a way to give her yet another shot at Becky, and I think she could use it. But again, I do think Baszler makes the most sense. Uh, and during this match, I almost forgot... R-Truth sort of circled around with the 24-7 championship. Uh, obviously, he was being chased. Eric Young, for whatever reason, got in the ring. Charlotte was quick to boot him uh, on route to a victory. I almost would have rather you did something with the 24 title, 24-7 uh, title and the wedding. Because that would have been better. But at least I, I like Charlotte giving Eric Young the boot. And we didn't get anything else in the 24-7 championship. So very uneasy. Too much last week. Not enough this week. You know Tozawa seemingly as a part of this, unless I missed him. But anyways. We then had Becky Lynch immediately after the Charlotte match. She was backstage with Kayla. And it was just... And I don't like to get into attire too much. But I, I don't know what was weirder. That Becky had a tie and a button shirt. Which I like. I like that part of it. That was very formal for an interview. Maybe a blazer. I couldn't really tell. But then Kayla Braxton, this hadn't hit me before, she was in like a sparkly tracksuit. What the hell was that? Uh, weird. And, and I want to be very clear. I would definitely criticize Mike Rome 
if he wore a sparkly tracksuit. But to Mike Rome's credit, he is often well-dressed in a suit. And I'm not saying you can't wear dresses or other things, but, you know, we got a tracksuit. Is a track pant next for these backseat interviewers? Uh, not a good day for Kayla Braxton. And again, I don't think it's her fault. I think it's wardrobe, and I think it's what she's been given as material. I think she's doing the best she can with it. Anyways, apparently Becky wouldn't sign a contract or her contract until she got a match with Asuka at the Rumble. She didn't know if you could beat Asuka, but she needed to know. This was very compelling and really built a good backstory. What wasn't very compelling and didn't build a good backstory was us looking at Bobby Lashley getting ready for his wedding. We then, and what ended up being a bit of foreshadowing that I really couldn't have guessed, had Liv Morgan's promo where she talked about being different and sort of going beyond her looks and that she'll strike when she's ready and she's ready, are we ready? And at the end of the night, it became clear to me that I wasn't ready, but I'll get to that later. The OC uh, came out with the World Cup. AJ started talking about this being the OC show. They showed some highlights of them beating the Viking Raiders of what happened to Randy Orton last week, but this was really going nowhere. And the Street Profits thankfully came out. They interrupted. They made a very good point that in, the, in their debut, they beat the OC and they were going to do it again essentially right now. There was some OC jokes with the teen opera and that stuff was very good. We got to the match. Masterful ejection of AJ Styles here uh, that went to a great commercial break. The Profits won, which I was so happy for. I'm glad to see these guys in a match. They did do a post-match promo later that hopefully I'll forget to get to. But good, they got the win. We'll get a triple threat for the tag team titles next week. Sort of surprised it's not at the Rumble, but I'm totally cool with it next week. We also found out Asuka versus Becky is official. I don't know if we really needed this. They could have just been integrated into next week's programming. But whatever. We had Lana backstage playing with her wedding flowers. Could have done without that. We then got these. This was the Street Profits backstage. The only thing I missed out when I mentioned it a moment ago was that Angelo just wanted to talk to the bridesmaids or whatever zach Ryder and kurt hawkins then came out and it, we found out drew mcintyre would be in a two-on-one match mcintyre came out with the mic in his hand and i could kind of tell something was up he described himself as the sexy scotsman which apparently is the turning point for this guy being a face because last week it seemed like a parody of a face but this is it he did some crowd work which was very good and he went on to say to basically poll the audience to see if they were worried about him being in a two-on-one match and he didn't have the sense to say survey says but survey says the fans didn't think he was worried and the raise of hands was pretty unanimous across the arena so he got the win there was a kip up in here he pinned one on top of the other this was very good and, and when he sort of lined up for the uh, the claymore kick he sort of felt like roman reigns i mean in a good way I don't know if you had to keep this with Hawkins and Ryder. I feel like if you had brought out a heel team, like certainly Hawkins and Ryder jumped him when he got in the ring, sort of, as he was on the apron. Although he had talked a pretty big game at that point. But this is very good, I will say. A little little quick, but good. <clears throat> Moving on, we finally got Randy Orton. There was a few more teases. There was another tease, at least, of this. Came out on crutches. He needed assistance to get into the ring, which really hit me. And Orton said it killed him to require assistance in the ring. He referenced Edge. He said he popped his knee a couple nights ago. He went to an MRI. He got an MRI. He's going to be out a long time. There's a chance he would never come back. But he's going to do everything in his power to come back in Mania to RKO somebody. 
right on cue, AJ Styles comes out. He starts taunting him. He offers for Orton to give him an RKO. He puts his hands behind his back. And then AJ has a line about not wanting to wait until WrestleMania. And Orton, at this point, after that, Styles kicks away a crutch. Orton says the difference between him and Styles is he's patient. He RKO's him. It was all a ruse. But masterfully done. On the levels of Mark Henry rusing John Cena all that time ago. We finally got a recap of Andrade winning the U.S. title from Rey Mysterio at Madison Square Garden. Uh, Rey is looking forward to a rematch, which is apparently next week. But he also wants to go after Seth and AOP. We also find out Roman Reigns will face Dolph Ziggler tomorrow at Fox's New Year's Eve. Which is kind of a cool thing. I think this was mentioned on SmackDown. But a nice little collab there. Andrade then faced a jobber who didn't get a name graphic. And the announcers seemed like they were instructed not to give this guy a name. Which was just cruel. Selena Vega then called for the uh, concrete DDT, if you will. And the, the commentators made a good point that Humberto hasn't been seen since this. But Ricochet showed up. And this really worked with his superhero demeanor. He cut a promo which was very concise and good. And he got a match. But... Andrade did hit him with a backdrop onto the concrete. Concrete, excuse me. And, and even with that, I guess since it wasn't a DDT, Selena had to get involved and assist with the win. But a pretty good setup here. They then were interviewed backstage about the match next week with Rey Mysterio. Selena basically said he would beat him again. Fair enough. And now we get to the wedding. Um, oh, jeez. So there were chairs on the stage, but no guests. Which, I actually, now that I think about it, was a good touch. I'm not sure who exactly would be on Lana or Bobby Lashley's side. The minister reminded me of Gilbert Godfrey a little. I don't know if anybody else got that. Tweet me at Blavi87 if you got that vibe. vibe. Lana got angry at the crowd for chanting Rusev Day. She got angry at the minister for reading vows she didn't write. She said her vows. She had written Bobby Lashley's vows. Lana's first husband came out to object uh, to uh, object to the marriage. He said they were married when they were 18, when Lana was 18 at least, and she left him for Rusev, and then she'd probably do the same thing to Bobby Lashley. Bobby responded by attacking this guy, because far be it for somebody to give you good advice who's been where you've been before. Then we had Bobby's first wife come out, but Lana just knocked her off the apron after she said her piece. And then Liv Morgan came out, and it became pretty obvious with the way she was delivering stuff that she was eventually going to reveal that she loved Lana. But the problem was there were so many cutaways to Lashley and Lana. Liv's material was so long that it became obvious that Bobby Lashley, before he said he had no idea who she was, and granted, I give the minister credit, minister credit for not believing him, it was very obvious that Lana was feeling guilty and Lashley had no idea what was happening. And that was pretty obvious from about a sentence into Liv speaking to me. So anyways, Lana attacks Liv Morgan. And again, there's no backstory for any of this in Total Divas, which they were both part of many seasons ago. And I'd like to tell you they had a proper fight. They had a very crummy cat fight. After which, Rusev popped out of the cake. He attacked Bobby. And then Liv attacked Lana. They kind of stood in the ring. They were sort of overtime, So they sort of just broke mid Liv attacking Lana while Rusev was standing there. And that was raw. It was kind of exhausting, to be honest. And I think it's become very clear. This is not a priority. 
three hours is too much. And this Lana Bobby Lashley stuff has gone way too far. And it ruins Liv Morgan. Like, if you look at Liv Morgan's promo packages, she had a very good arc about being herself, about changing, and yet here she was coming out to Lana trying to essentially pitch herself to go back with who we've been told is basically the worst person in the roster. By the way, Lana also, in her vows, called herself the greatest superstar in WWE. And this was the person, and the greatest woman. This was the person Liv Morgan loved. That's a pretty big problem. And obviously, they're going to spin this off with Liv aligning with Rusev. And it'll work. It'll get a pop. The crowd was into this. But I just so would have rather you kept Liv out of this. You put her in the Royal Rumble. She's not going to win it. But she could have been a nice surprise entry. She could have made a lot of noise. She could have generated a feud out of that. She could have been her own character. She could have built herself up. But no, she's part of this rivalry. And you could have cut her right out of this. Like, she got a pop when she said she loved Lana. It gave somebody to smack Lana around. But there's a whole roster of women who could have done that. I, I you know, I, I didn't need it. I didn't need it. And, and now Liv's essentially probably trapped in this storyline. Probably gets packaged with Rusev. And sort of falls back to that second or third banana she was with the Riot Squad. And, look, I met Liv Morgan. I like Liv Morgan. I think she thought I was cool too. She deserves to be her own superstar. I don't think this is the best move for her. And, obviously, any in-ring prowess she has, you're not going to see it in a catfight with Lana. And after all those promos, for that to be what we got was very disappointing. And once again, it's very clear to me that... Due to the length of time, the smaller TV contract, that Raw is not the priority for WWE. They are putting resources to NXT. They are putting resources to SmackDown. And I, I kind of can't blame them, but they need to make more economical decisions if this is going to be your C-show. And you're not really going to lean heavily on Kevin Owens, Samoa Joe, Seth Rollins, or AOP in a three-hour show. You can only give so much time to Buddy Murphy and Aleister Black. You can only do this Eric Rowan storyline for so long. You have to be more creative with the 24-7 championships. You have to fact-check Charlotte on her promos. You can't just be making factual errors in the most uh, talking time she's gotten in months. You know, somebody's got to work with Kayla and figure out what her character is. Is she the shiny jog suit fool? Because that's not fair to Kayla. She loves this product. She works hard. She should be asking hard-hitting, smart questions. Not the questions he's asking now. Anyways, that's what I thought of Raw. I was quite disappointed. But luckily, Wednesday's around the corner. I'll be reviewing AEW and enjoying NXT after whenever it airs in Canada, which is an ongoing issue. And uh, I'm working on a little AEW versus NXT special for you guys. As always, tweet me at BilalV87 on Twitter. Never Sleeps Network. This has been a Never Sleeps Network production, executive produced by Alex Ross. For more information and content, visit NeverSleepsNetwork.com.